It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented to you by Film Seizure. This week, let's go back to the Roger Corman stable. This is going to be a little bit of a discussion about 1959's Attack of the Giant Leeches. And to be quite honest with you, after uh, a last couple of episodes where I uh, went a little bit uh, overboard with some some of the time and so forth, I thought let's just do a nice little short movie uh, with a short little uh, episode here. So let's get to it. Uh, This was actually produced by Gene Corman, which is Roger's younger brother, but um, it's also... Uh, kind of shadowed produced by Roger Corman as well um, this thing really uh, this film had three things that were really going for it first uh, it played on a twin bill with House of Usher which was one of Roger Corman's Edgar Allan Poe adaptations second uh, creature features at the time were really popular and so this was 100% made for drive-in viewing and then three Yvette Vickers, and we'll get uh, more on her here in a little bit. But uh, really, all this movie needs is that there's a creature that suddenly appears in the Florida Everglades. Uh, It might have been contaminated by nuclear business at Cape Canaveral, or maybe it's just the Freon cold out the hotel door. And if you get that reference, A plus for you. Um, This was shot in uh, eight days uh, in Southern California. And it actually holds a relatively decent score on Rotten Tomatoes, but a pretty poor score on Internet Movie Database. Um, And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I mean, it is only 62 minutes in length. Um, It does not have a great deal of monster action, really. Everything just kind of takes place in and around this one little swamp. So I can kind of understand why some people may not particularly care for this movie. Um, However... Probably, like many people, uh, I probably have seen this movie more often watching the rerun of the Mystery Science Theater episode that this was featured on. So um, that probably also colors some people's opinions of some of these movies, particularly Roger Corman movies, because um, I I admit that, you know, before I really kind of dug into a lot of his filmography... um, my opinion of his movies were pretty colored by their uh, the joking about them on Mystery Science Theater. But that's um, th- that I can kind of understand why maybe the uh, Internet Movie Database score was a little bit lower for this movie. Um, so this movie opens with a um, local kind of seeing something in the swamp. And he kind of shoots at it, uh, but it uh, doesn't seem to really do too much. And he's uh, he's telling all of his buddies at the at the general store where everybody kind of uh, congregates that uh, the creature had like almost uh, human-like arms with a bunch of suckers on them. And then everybody's just kind of thinking he's either telling tall tales or he's drunk. Um, then someone is attacked and found by the local hottie, Liz Walker. And that's Yvette Vickers, by the way. But again, we'll get more on her here in a little bit. Um and at first, uh, it's you know thought to be a gator that is attacking these people. But our main hero, Steve Benton, who I think is a wildlife officer and not actually a cop, um, but he thinks it's uh, more like a squid or something that would have like suckers or tentacles or something. 
He does some research with uh, his uh, girlfriend's father, who's a doctor. Uh, He might even dabble in biology a little bit. Um, But they really can't find anything that would prove anything, any of these uh, theories that Steve has. However, people do start going missing. And the town store owner, which is Liz's husband, gets arrested for what appears to be murdering Liz and her lover, Cal. Uh, But he tells everyone that it's a monster and nobody believes him. And he's really shaken by this. Um, He does end up hanging himself in his holding cell, which the doctor later uh, says, I think it's the doctor. It might be another uh, local, but they're like, you know, I saw him just a couple of hours before he killed himself. He was really shaken up about something. So they, they kind of believe there, there's a there's a half belief half oh he's just realized that he killed his wife and her boyfriend that you know it, that's why he killed himself but um, the doctor does think that if there are creatures out there they're probably nocturnal and stay out of the light and uh, at the bottom of the swamp and he wants to use some like explosive charges to bring them to the surface but Steve forbids it um, but it's uh, soon discovered that not all of the people who have encountered the creatures are in fact dead. Some are taken to a cave where uh, these leeches feed on them by leeching off of them. And uh, they're kind of storing them for, for later use. Um, the locals uh, who have been kind of helped dragging the swamp a little bit help Steve realize that you know, there is something else in the swamp because no gators are being found in the area. They've either been scared off or they've been killed off or something. And considering gators have a pretty good reputation for not being scared, uh, it seems to be, uh, it, it seems to be something to be concerned about. Well, uh, the doctor, Steve's soon to be father-in-law, I guess, Uh, He does end up uh, going ahead and going against Steve's wishes and uses dynamite. Um, And they're hoping to stun whatever it is in the swamp. But what ends up happening is, is that in the leech's cavern, it shakes people out into the water and they begin floating to the surface. And they think, well, uh oh, there's the bodies. Um, And there's only one person who has not shown up. Uh, and that's the that's Liz, the the store owner's wife. Um, she's the only one left alive, and therefore didn't just kind of roll out of the cavern with the uh, explosion with the explosives when they went off. Now the autopsy of the other people showed that all of their blood had been drained with uh, the suction wounds that you would see like after you've been bitten by a leech. Um, also, that. Uh, these people have been missing for days, but for some of them, rigor, rigor mortis started to set in while they were on the autopsy table, which Steve doesn't really believe, but the doctor's like, hey, you know, I'm a doctor. I was, I'd stake my reputation on this that, you know, these people have not been dead for as long as we think they've been. Um, so Steve... Uh, grabbed some frogman equipment. He had some uh, uh, practice with that back in World War II. And he decides to, to dive uh, to look for what they think might be an underwater cave that has an air pocket in it. And that's where he also expects to find Liz. 
Well, while he's down there, he also finds the leeches. But in the course of all of this, Liz dies on her own and falls into the water where she resurfaces while Steve goes back to kill the leech that he's wounded. With uh, the proof now that there are giant leeches, they do finally decide to use the dynamite um, to uh, kill as many of them as they can, but it seems that one gets away. So let's talk about my three things that I like about Attack of the Giant Leeches. First, um, these types of quick and easy little creature features are just kind of fun to watch. Like I said, this is a little bit of a slower movie for being only 62 minutes, but um, it's still um, kind of charming. And the Cormans were uh, really masters of this back then. And, you know, like I said, it's a cool 62 minutes, but it wastes no time. Like in the very first scene, something's going on. Somebody already knows that there's something out there. Um, I also like that um, there's more going on than just the monster in this town. Uh, there's lots of interesting characters to kind of help flesh out the movie. Um, it's it's a small town for sure, but that's uh, but not the only uh, you know the monster is not the only ticket in town. And I'll talk about that more here in just a moment. Um, but there's also an interesting element here. Uh, Steve is kind of the young buck who wants to figure out what killed uh, that guy that uh, he and Liz Walker found uh, when the first uh, indication that something wrong was going on. Uh, every uh, Everyone else, like especially the police, seemed kind of older and set in their ways. Just, uh, you know, just they would just want to blame it on gators and call it a day. Um, but young and virile is kind of superseding the older and more set in their ways. This was kind of also a thing that seemed to be cropping up a lot in the late fifties too. It was these people who were coming back from the war, uh, who are now establishing themselves as the, you know, the, the people who should be listened to, I guess. Um, so it, it is kind of an interesting, uh, dynamic that, that plays up and it happens a lot in this, in this era too. I mean, I talked about it with the blob review that I did several episodes ago. Um, next, number two, the creatures. I mean, I use the word charming a lot with the with these types of movies, and that's what they are. They're charming. I mean, they're basically people in trash bags um, that have, you know, like little suckers on them. Um, but there is that one scene where you're seeing them kind of storing their, their captured prey, and they're feeding on them, and the it, that's a pretty unsettling scene because you know like people are screaming and yelling there's this noise that uh, that accompanies the leeches that are um, um, it kind of adds to the whole atmosphere of that scene so it's a really pretty cool scene but the monsters themselves I mean they really are um, you know people in vinyl suits I think um, with full of air <laughs> and they've just got these suckers taped to them. Uh, it's just, it's kind of one of those things that you just kind of laugh at and it's just like, Hey, you know, you, you wanted a movie, you gave me eight days to make the movie. What else you, did you expect on this? Uh, so, but stuff like that. I always, I always have a warm, uh, spot in my heart for that. Third, uh, let's talk about Yvette Vickers. Um, she is smoking hot. Um, and she has been in um, some pretty popular movies, too. Uh, but just months before this movie came out, she appeared in Playboy. Um, so I think that kind of helped this movie be a little bit more popular than it had any right to be. Um, 
but like this movie shoots her like she's the most desirable person to have ever lived in Florida. And it really works. Like when she's on screen, I'm captivated by her and she is an important plot point in a couple of ways. Um, you know, she's married to this fat store owner in town and it's like she's kind of stuck with him and he's just the guy with the most stuff. So she ended up just marrying him when she was too young to really um, do anything about it, maybe. But also, uh, you know, she's you know cheating on this on her husband with this guy named Cal. There's always a guy named Cal in 50s movies, by the way. But uh, that leads to her husband finding them kind of canoodling and that and then they you know then there's the giant leech attack at that point um just this whole marital strife between these two characters leads to a a pretty dramatic moment that makes for maybe the most important sequence in the whole movie and she's the one person who doesn't show up because she's the last person to survive the leeches before finally you know giving out um so she becomes She's not just second build because she's in Playboy, although I'm sure that is. But her her character is actually really important to this movie. Um, now, about her personally, uh, Vickers, for her entire life, basically got a lot of fan mail, um, you know, asking to be pen pals or asking for pictures and stuff like that. A lot of stuff that um, kind of those old-timey, particularly kind of B-movie queens would kind of get a lot of attention from, right? And um, she was, you know, in a lot of popular things in the 50s and 60s. Um, Before this movie, she was in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which is another pretty popular movie. Um, In her later years, um, she became kind of a shut-in. And... uh, you know, she would stay in touch with a few friends, but she withdrew from her extended family. And um, at some point in 2010, I think, um, she seemingly passed away because nobody had heard from her for several months. Um, and an old actress friend got into her house and, and found her mummified remains. Um, and there's so there's there's a little bit of a story behind this uh as far as her mummified remains go she um she was really well known for um you know keeping all of her fan mail that combined with the fact that she lived in southern california where there wasn't a whole lot of moisture or a lot of rain uh particularly during that time and the fact that her house was in somewhat disrepair where um, she had broken windows that she had just basically taped, you know, newspaper over or um, like that brown paper. Um, and if there and because there was a little bit of a hole in it, that probably allowed any moisture to escape. So the combination of where she lived, um, where you know, uh, the the state of her house, the state of the that she kept all of these fan mail pieces and everything a lot of people believe that those things added up to ultimately preserve her body as a mummy at that point the you know her moisture from the decom the decomposition was being sucked up elsewhere and being blown out and she was preserved um it's sad though because she did die um basically alone 
Um, there were rumors that uh, Hugh Hefner paid for her cremation, that her, um, I think her half-brother ended up with her remains. Um, it's not a substantiated uh, rumor or claim, uh, but he did uh, speak out about the grief that he felt about her lonely death. And he was kind of angry about it. And that's, you know, that's pretty big on him. Um, I think he wanted to remain friends with her and, uh, you know, he felt bad for her and, and it's, you know, kind of a sad story, but so that wraps up this week's monster Mondays. Uh, don't forget to check out new episodes of film seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of monster Mondays each Monday on filmseizure.com as well as places where fine podcasts are found, like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. You can also check out new posts at my website, bmovieenema.com, each and every Friday. So, until next week, stay spooky. <laughs>